The client wants to feel like they are in good hands. So if you can approach everything you do from a perspective of how can I make this easier for the client, you're golden. You're going to stand out because it's going to affect everything that you do from putting together your proposal, pitching them, working with them. That'll automatically lead to a long-term working relationship with them because they enjoy working with you. You make it easy for them. Welcome to the Live, Work, Travel podcast. I'm your host, Michonne Thomas, a former middle school teacher who quit at 30 to become a six-figure freelancer and digital nomad instead. You're in the right place if you're ready to learn how freelancing can help you to work from anywhere, make great money, and live a life that you design. I'm sharing everything I've learned to get to where I am today in order to support you on your journey because this lifestyle is simply too good not to share. Hello, and welcome back again to the podcast. In today's episode, we are going over a few questions that I have gathered in from listeners, and hopefully it will be helpful for everyone out there listening as they are starting their freelance career. We're kind of focusing on some of the same things that I get very commonly, and so I figured it wouldn't be nice to just tackle a few of them in this episode. So one of the things that comes up constantly all the time is the worry about stability in freelancing. One of my audience has asked, how do I ensure that I have a stable income when I'm first starting out as a freelancer? And my answer to this would be, one, if you are still in your job, you have a day job, start freelancing on the side. It takes away so much of the pressure when you know that you're getting a steady income, getting paid every week, every two weeks, every month, whatever your job does. But having that and knowing that you can pay your bills frees you up to be able to dabble in freelancing on the side without that stress of, oh my God, I have to make rent. Okay. For those who are very risk averse, that is the best way to get started. I unfortunately didn't have that. Many of you know my story. I was laid off suddenly and then had to just absolutely scramble. It was absolutely mad and panic inducing, anxiety producing. The good side of that being that I do think I got successful a lot faster because I could focus all of my time and energy and panic and scared, just freaking out into freelancing. And so it was one of those, you know, your back's up against the wall, you have to make something work. So it happened in a very fast, very compressed time period. And I went on to make just over $94,000 in my first year of freelancing with no clue what I was doing. But for those who don't want to go the, oh my gosh, all in at once, starting with your current job, just doing a little bit on the side is a way to definitely keep that stability. Another way though, let's say you don't have a job and you do have all the time to focus on freelancing. It doesn't have to be as panicky as mine was. I have now created a freelancing course. It's called The Escape Hatch and it takes you through the exact steps of how I went from knowing nothing about freelancing to landing my first clients and having that $94,000 years. So there is help, a roadmap laid down to follow. So it's not going to be as chaotic and wild as it was for me. You can get the details on that course at liveworktravel.com forward slash escape. Back to stability. My tip for you, if you're starting out, is to work on finding three clients, two to three, right? Because instead of having just one where you can still have that feeling of just one income, this could be yanked out from underneath you like it was with my job, right? Getting laid off, I lost 
all my income in one day. Whereas ever since, I've usually had two to three clients at a time. And that way, I just wake up every day feeling solid because I know that if one client goes away, I've still got the other two and I've got a buffer and I've got some time to find that other client down the road, right? I also am able to spread insecurity out over multiple fields, basically. Like none of my clients work in the exact same thing. So one of my clients, for example, was working in the travel industry, which was severely disrupted by COVID in 2020. I mean, the whole world was disrupted in a lot of ways, but travel especially just completely wiped out overnight. So it helps to have clients in other areas while also a lot of panic, a lot of struggle, a lot of not knowing what was going to happen. It wasn't quite as bad. So it helps you to diversify by having clients in different things. That is what I would focus on in terms of finding stable income. You're looking at getting just a few clients, getting clients in different things. You're doing the same type of work, but the clients may have different types of businesses and whatnot. And you're also focusing, I would say, on ongoing repeatable income. So my clients don't feel like the traditional freelance clients in the sense of a one-off gig here and there. My clients feel like jobs because I work with them long-term. I package my services up into a retainer. They pay me on a consistent, regular basis. I have money coming in. I know when the next payday is. I know when the payday after that is. I know when the payday after that is. If my clients don't leave for some reason, like let's say they completely shut down their business, right? If that doesn't happen, I know that they're, I'm getting paid from them through the rest of the year and the year after. Like it feels so stable. So what I would encourage you to do is find areas where you are able to work in an ongoing fashion for your clients, where you do work for them that they're going to need next month and then the six months after that and then a year after that. Okay. So that kind of leads into another question that has been asked. Question number two, which is what are the strategies I can use to find and retain clients? Well, at a base level, the strategies I've gone over in other episodes as well or talk about on my blog and things like that are you can look on platforms or you can go to people directly. And both are good. I favor going to people directly, but I also understand the platforms can be easy when you're starting out because it's just there. You go to a site like Upwork.com and you have hundreds of thousands of clients posting for things that they need help with. So it's easy. You go there and you're like, wow, I didn't realize all of this existed. The difficulty is that you're, of course, competing with other people, other freelancers on those platforms. There are millions of other freelancers and you are competing with them to get in front of and even be seen by a client. So I prefer going out and finding clients yourself. And that strategy is so simple at its core. It involves sitting down and thinking about what you want to do, what you can do that's ongoing, long-term work that the clients will need over and over, not just one time. The difference would be building a website for a client. They're going to need that once and they're probably going to stick with that same website for, I don't know, five to 10 years. Why would you change, right? If it's good and it's working versus doing something like being an executive assistant. A client is going to need you as their executive assistant day in and day out. And what's great about a position like that is the longer you work with them, the more they need you because you are such an integral part of their day to day that they kind of can't imagine life without you. (laughs) Customer service would be another position where you can do that on a freelance basis long term for a client. They're always going to have customers with questions, customers that need help, and you can get in with them and work for them for 10 years if you like. So thinking about things like that, that you can do long term, and then going out and finding the people who 
need that. If you are an executive assistant, well, you obviously need to look for executives. That's your ideal client. If you take that down a notch, you're just a personal assistant. You take it away from the company aspect so much and you're just a personal assistant for people. Not the whole world is your oyster, but a whole, it opens it up. Lots of people can use a personal assistant and lots of people have the ability to pay for, right? If you get into a certain income bracket, you have people who are able to pay for someone who's going to help them manage the day-to-day of their life. And so again, the longer they have you around, the more they depend on you, the more they need you, they're not going to want to get rid of you. You're setting yourself up with a stable job for the long term. So you're thinking about those skills that are going to lend themselves to retaining clients. It does work for you, right? You find an ongoing thing that you can do and does the work of retaining clients. Also, under a strategy that I think people underestimate a lot of time is just doing good work. (laughs) Clients don't want to get rid of you when you do good work. I have had people who have worked with some of my clients, you know, for years. And when we stop and think about the beginning and all of the work that they've helped us through, all of the great changes they've helped us make, just all of the ups and downs that a business has been through for, let's say, three years, you don't want to let that person go. And I know this is strange. It can sound so strange because many of us are used to, in a nine-to-five job as a W-2 employee, working for big companies that don't seem like they care about us. And they don't care like if we go. But it can be very different when you're working in freelancing and you've taken the time to find good clients who really value you, who respect you, who acknowledge that you do good work and want to continue to work with you for years. It's not this scary world that it's made out to be. Freelancing for me has been the most stable thing that I have ever done in my life. And I want that for all of you as well. (laughs) So yeah, the strategies of going to the platforms and or going after people, really at its core though, it's getting specific ahead of time and deciding what skills am I going to do that are going to help me just really get in with a client and be able to work with them for the long term, for years to come. Question number three was, okay, there's so many freelancers out there, literally millions on Upwork.com. What can I do to stand out in a market this saturated? Oh, guys. Oh, you all, I can't tell you enough how easy it is to stand out. If you resonate with that question and if you are overwhelmed and you think I can't possibly stand out, please Please listen to me. (laughs) I know I'm just one person, but I've hired hundreds of freelancers and I've helped my clients to hire hundreds of freelancers as well. And I've got lots of friends, other entrepreneurs. It is not hard to stand out because just like in most areas of life, 80 to 90% of people are not doing that much to stand out. Every time I go through and review a job posting that I've put on Upwork, let's say, if 50 people have applied, maybe five are decent proposals. And of those, sometimes you don't even get one that is just a knockout proposal. It's not that hard to stand out. It's just that most people don't bother to take the time. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been called dear sir on a platform. I can't tell you the amount of times that I have had people ignore my name, which is in the posting and say dear sir slash madam or whatever, like dear hiring manager, like the people that just copy and paste stuff in. I can't tell you how many times I've had people apply for the wrong job, right? Like I'll post something and they'll say, I am so excited to to apply for this position of customer service, whatever. Like just people don't take the time to 
try to stand out. So the fact that you're asking about this, the fact that you're curious and that you want to stand out is a good sign. And I've talked about this before in previous episodes. The client wants to feel like they are in good hands. So if you can approach everything you do from a perspective of how can I make this easier for the client, you're golden. You're going to stand out because it's going to affect everything that you do from putting together your proposal, pitching them, working with them. That'll automatically lead to a long-term working relationship with them because they enjoy working with you. You make it easy for them. So what can I do to make this easy for the client? Just keeping that in mind all the time is going to go, that's going to determine how you structure your proposal. Are you going to send them a giant block of a text about you and everything that you've done in your entire life? No, you're going to keep the proposal short. You're going to tailor it specifically to what the client needs and what they're posting about. You're not going to give them your whole backstory about how you, you know, guys, sometimes people write in and they have these five paragraph, giant paragraph essays about their life and all their skills. Don't care. The client does not care. Client wants to know how you can help them with what they need. (laughs) And what they need was listen to the job posting, right? So keeping that in mind, you're going to structure a proposal. How can I help this person get what they need? Okay, I'm going to make it clear. I'm going to make it concise. I'm going to specifically talk about the things that they need help with. I'm going to include a bit of work that I've done before, either portfolio piece specifically so they can see just one. I'm going to make that easy for them. So like one or two, they see exactly what I can do. If I don't have any portfolio pieces, I'm going to quickly give them an example of what I would like to do with for them based on their job proposal, that kind of thing. Like you're constantly doing that. Then when they reach out to you, every bit of communication that you have back and forth with them, you're going to be focused on making it easy for them. So your communication is going to be clear. It's going to be concise. It's going to be spot on to what they wanted. When they start to work with you, you're going to make sure that you structure every interaction so it's as little work for them as possible. If keeping that guiding light in mind, you're going to always be thinking about the client and making their life easier so much that working with you is just a dream. And they wouldn't dream of replacing you and going anywhere else because they just know that they can't get it anywhere as good as they can get it with you, right? (laughs) So that is just the simplest, easiest way to stand out. Most people have this selfish obsession with themselves, right? Like, our problems are the biggest problems and that's what we care about. And da, da, da. When you can just set that aside for yourself and start thinking about the client and structuring everything you do to make life easier for them, it's going to stand out in a way that you would not believe. All right. So the next question asked was, how do I handle client disputes or disagreements around work quality and getting paid? And that is a big one that a lot of freelancers struggle with. I think a lot of people fear getting started because they're worried about the negative. And I identify with this a lot. Ever since I was younger, I can see the risks, right? I can see the downsides. I can see the danger. And I had to do a lot with my childhood upbringing, but that's a whole other story for another day. But there was this idea of just kind of like always watching out for danger and the world being a scary place. It's like some messaging that I got when I was younger. Anyway, so when I first started freelancing, I had some of these worries about that. Like, what am I going to do with shitty clients? What am I going to do with people? Like, what if I do the work and they don't pay me? And what it comes down to really is I set up structure and organization so that that just simply never happened. I've never had a client not pay me ever. And 
I have gone into situations where clients were a little bit messy and they paid at different times and they were kind of all over the place. And so I just set up their system for them to pay me. This one client was just kind of a mess with all payments to everyone. It wasn't just me. They were just, they would pay on different days and they just really, they had no system. They had no system. They would pay. Then invoice came in and if it got missed, it would just not get paid. So it was just like a the invoice would come into their inbox and they would pay it right away when they were going through their email. But if they didn't for some reason, then it would just fall to the bottom of their email and it would just like not get done. And investigating, I found out like, okay, you just don't have a system set up. You don't pay anybody on time. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay everybody out on Mondays. Boom. Every two weeks, just like a rotating job would be. doesn't matter when they invoice, they're getting paid on a rotating schedule. And we just made it clear over time to all of the various contractors that you could invoice us whenever you like. Like you invoice us for the first of the month, let's say the first of September, you send us your invoice. However, we're going to pay you the next rolling Monday that is part of the every two weeks. And that way the client was super happy. I mean, I was working for him with operations management. So that was part of my job coming in and cleaning up messes and structuring and organizing everything. But it was great because I got paid on time. Everybody else got paid on time. People were happy because there was now a system and an expectation. You knew I'm sending this client the invoice and they'll get to it the next rolling Monday, bi-weekly Monday that comes around. And the client was a lot happier too because he no longer had to stress out about everything being lost everywhere all the time. So a lot of times, good clients, they want to pay you for work done. They're not going to argue about it. They're not going to hassle about it. If they're not paying on time, it's because they're just a mess. And so usually it's like a thing of they want to, they just don't have the resources to create a system to get it done on time. So in my job, that literally was my job to help him get a system. But in other cases, if you ever deal with an issue of late payment or not payment on time, try to find out the core underneath it. What is going on with that client? Why aren't they paying on time? Is it because they're messy? Is it because they have some personal stuff going on in their lives? I always find that just being empathetic is easier than, you know, you're more likely to get paid than just going off, just absolutely losing it and creating this angry situation that is not good for anyone. But the other thing, more so than that, set yourself up so that it doesn't happen that way. Structure your payment terms with any client so you get part of the payment up front and then part of the payment at the end. And if a client balks at that, you should just listen to your gut, listen to your intuition, be careful. A normal situation client is not going to have issue with that. And if you are on a freelancing platform, they take precautions to make sure that you get paid by taking money from the client up front. The way that Upwork.com works, you either track your time as you are working, if it's hourly rate, but if they're paying you by the project, Upwork actually takes the money from the client at the beginning of the project, holds it in escrow, and then basically you request payment at the end. So the client either has to pay you out, or for some reason, if they are delaying it, you have the ability to go to Upwork and make a claim and sort it out and make sure that you get payment for that. So the same thing works in the real world. The client may not give you the entire amount up front. I mean, it makes total sense to not pay for a thing until you've gotten it, but a client should be willing to put up some of the money up front to start you on the project and then pay the rest on completion. Now, there could be a situation where they've paid you 30% up front, let's say, and then you go to the end and you deliver the work and they say, no, I'm not paying for this. And I would be surprised if that happened without some red flags to begin with. The biggest thing that I have ever had help me is just going with my gut and my intuition. There is almost always a red flag with a client like that. There's some feeling that you've got. There's something that you may not even be able to put into words, but you tend to know and you 
can choose to stay away from it. I know it can be hard when you're tempted to take the work because you need the work, but it's never worth it. Not when there are so many genuine, hardworking, good people out there who make amazing clients and will pay you. It's not worth getting into the mess with people who are going to end up stiffing you at the end. And I think a lot of times for a lot of people that I've talked to, they've had that whenever they've explained that they've had this happen to them, that they've had a client not pay them, there were always warning signs, always. So the answer is just walk away walk away. All right, so that is enough for today's FAQ episode. Let me know your thoughts on this. If you would like to send in a question to be answered in a future episode, please reach out on Instagram at liveworktravelig or you can get a hold of me by emailing hello at liveworktravel.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be back next week with another episode. (music) 